Hello, and welcome to Unbabbled, a podcast that navigates the world of special education, communication delays, and learning differences. We are your hosts, Stephanie Landis and Meredith Crummel, and we're certified speech-language pathologists who spend our days at the parish school in Houston, helping children find their voices and connect with the world around them. In this episode, guest Justin Keller discusses how having a child with developmental delays shifted his perspective both as a parent and on his life in general. Justin is a Houston-based brand strategist, author, and current parish school parent. Throughout the episode, he offers his experience on how his son has changed him for the better, including being more present, accepting that his son has his own timeline, and finding the ever-elusive balance in parenting. We hope parents and educators alike will find Justin's journey as a dad relatable. Today we're here with Justin Keller. Justin Keller is a parent of one of our students here at the parish school, and we're excited to hear his perspectives and ideas from the parenting side, which we haven't done yet. Yeah. So thanks welcome, for, Justin. Well, thanks for having me, guys. We're so excited. Can you start off just by giving us a little bit about who you are and your journey through this part of parenthood? Yeah, my son is now, he'll be five in just a couple months, which is hard to believe. But so this journey for us with London started when he was six months old. We were told that he might have, it was MPS, which I had never heard of that. And they said, it's a rare genetic disease that if he has it, he won't live to be two. I mean, the diagnosis was just terrible. And so we were fortunate. We had family that had great connections at Mayo Clinic. So we got him up to top neurologists and geneticists and started this journey of trying to figure out what's if something going on at all uh, with him in his development. And so there was never any answers that came from that. But the answer that, you know, or the thing that we realized was his development was, you know, a little more delayed than whatever normal is, which no one is normal. No one has a set <laughs> timeline. So that, first of all, was a big perspective shift for us, which was his timeline doesn't have to be the same as everyone else's or what a sheet says or a chart says or a study says, you know, his timeline's his timeline. So we've just been on this, this journey for the last, you know, four and a half years, just basically not worrying about if there's something really going on. It's just, what is, what do we need to do to get London to thrive and, you know, set him up for success. So found the parish school, we were recommended pretty much told like he needs to come here and we're so glad he did. So it's been that's been part of the journey so far. I really like the way you said that he's on his own timeline. Can you explain a little bit further about like your journey to coming to accept being on his own timeline? Because as a parent, I also recognize my child is on their own timeline for certain <laughs> things. And that's been an area of struggle for me. Yeah, it, it, I would love to sound like I've mastered that understanding. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I think it's more of what you just said, an acceptance of that versus a full understanding of that. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time. I mean, it's probably been probably within the last two years. So probably the first couple of years were, you know, you feel that pressure of is, or is he where he needs to be? Is he doing as well as he's supposed to be doing at something? You know, should he be walking by now? Should he be all these different things? You it's imp it's pretty hard not to compare you know you're around another kid that's the same age and you see you know they're already saying the alphabet and they're 12 months old you know like what's going on here our, our sons we're just trying to get them to you know eat r real food mm -hmm. so it took a long time 
and and even for his mom and I know both of us have had that uh, it's just been a process and but it was liberating so the moment that I started to realize like the I don't know where I heard it or if someone said it but whatever sparked it was just the idea of like London is like perfect the way he is and he, he's supposed to be this way he's he is normal like he just has he has to work harder is the way that I started to look at it. it was like there's nothing wrong he just has to work harder so it wasn't a denial of it it was just more of an acceptance of okay this means we got to double down and you know maybe more than others would so but realizing like his timeline and his timeline was just a huge weight off for myself at least to just realize there's no pressure you know there's and it helps me not pressure him mm-hmm. i think that was probably the as a parent we i think we put a lot of unnecessary pressures on our kids you know or be careful be careful you know don't spill don't yeah we make mistakes and we do things wrong all the time even as adults i still spill you know and so it, it was just liberating to let that go and but it's still hard sometimes. So like I say, I don't want it to sound like it's something I've perfected. It's a process. Yeah. I think it's important to remember every child is so different and our expectations are what we thought parenting would be aren't always what they are. So, you know, to hear another parent say, I'm taking it day by day and and really just um, evaluating my child for who they are is really important to hear. Yeah. The day by day. I think that's huge is if you can really just think like that that has helped me for sure what's the next step what's Mm -hmm. the next instead of you know is he going to get into this college is he going to be able to do this he's going to be able to do that like because everything that we thought he wouldn't be able to do in time he's been able to do Mm -hmm. like it's it's pretty it's pretty wild when you're told you know he might not walk okay now we can't stop him from (laughs) running around you know he he will maybe struggle with something that all of a sudden he's not struggling with anymore, you know. With, so it, I just think you give it time, day at a time, next action step, and let them surprise you. I thought it was interesting that you said, like, it didn't matter the diagnosis or what was going on. You just wanted to figure out how to help him. And I think a lot of times parents, we get hung up on a name for it or what is it or what is the reason. And sometimes, like you said, it's important just to – let that go and just focus on how you can help your child be the best that they can be. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for everyone because there's probably, there are times a diagnosis is exactly what you have to have. Mm-hmm. A name yeah. is what you have to have mm-hmm. to know insurance. what to do. Yeah. For, yeah. <laughs> the logistics the of it. The most practical reason insurance, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, yeah, we won't even go there. So I can't speak for, like, I just, I just know for me personally, at least if it had a name, I I just think it's a disadvantage even for, you know, to get caught. I'd get caught up in that probably. Maybe even justify, you know, what he shouldn't be doing or should do based on that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's more, it's it's just opened up the door to curiosity of like, well, I wonder what's going to happen, what he's going to love, like, what's he going to do, what's where's his strengths going to be. And instead of, you know, putting a limit on something because of a diagnosis. Yeah, because even children with a diagnosis are different within that diagnosis. Yeah, and I mean, it helps you see that child as their own person and that child instead of as a label. Yeah, you, you nailed it, though. That's the thing I realized through all of this was, one, I was blind to even what rare, you know, things are out there that can cause learning differences and, and challenges for kids. I was blind to it. You just think you have a baby and everything's going to be just, you know, not easy street, but 
you don't predict some of the things that a lot of the parents here have had to overcome. And so it, it, I learned, though, through it all that even the same thing, there's different outcomes for each kid. And so you're right, the diagnosis, you know, for action steps, yes. But for a predictability factor of what that kid's going to do, no. Yeah, even having a label doesn't give you that crystal ball into what their future is going to look like. Yeah. Yeah, how often do we hear they, my child was told they would never blank and then they did it? You know, so it's just, it's, it's not always going to help you see the trajectory that your child is on. Yeah, I just have seen, you know, and you see the stories or you hear of people who have had everything going against them and, and have accomplished so much. And so I just think, to me, I don't even see it any differently, you know. Like, I, I'm very careful not to deny what's going on with them, but I'm very careful to, like, I don't elevate it, you mm-hmm. know, because it might not even impact anything he does in his life, you know. He might overcome all of that. And, or even if my son couldn't talk, it doesn't mean that he, which he can talk, and he's learning how to talk very well here, thanks to <laughs> the amazing people here and his speech therapists and the hard work that he puts in to, to do that. But even if he couldn't, I would just, you know, maybe he would end up being a soccer player and never has to use his words, you know, just <laughs> use his legs or guitar player. And so I just think it, it's just an interesting, it, it, we put a lot of limits on, on us and others, you know, that are unnecessary probably. I, I found your blog post on competitive dads really interesting and um, I connected with it a lot actually. What inspired you to write that? So the the gist of the blog post is basically challenging the mentality that we often have as parents just when we're around these other kids, like my son should be doing this, should be this fast, should be hitting this many home runs in a baseball season or whatnot. And you see it like crazy at the, mm-hmm. anywhere, you know, baseball, mm-hmm. basketball, doesn't matter. But we were, you know, one of the things that I have done in, a, in the season was decided to just start immersing him in different things. One of them was swimming. And so getting him in swimming lessons, mainly so I can just sit by the pool and relax more. <laughs> but getting him into swimming lessons, I'm sitting there and I'm watching like these parents get upset basically because their kids aren't getting pushed hard enough or fast enough you know, to do more. And I'm just enjoying, like I didn't think London would be able to swim ever. Mm-hmm. So like I'm just, I don't have my phone out. I'm not doing any work. And I'm just enjoying watching oh, wow, he went underwater today for the first time. Like, that's something I didn't think he would do. Or, you know, he anything he did, it was something I didn't think he was going to do. And so I was just always there at swimming, just enjoying watching just a little progress. I mean, crawling, doing the monkey crawl or whatever on the, on the side when he finally did that, when he finally got out. But then these parents are, like, encouraging, telling their kids, like, you got to try harder or you got to do more. And I'm just, I thought it was pretty ridiculous because I probably would have been that parent had we not been given this, you know, circumstances mm-hmm. and where we had to, you know, London set the pace instead of us trying to push the pace for him. So in a lot of ways, that's the hardship has been a luxury because it gave, you know, me the chance to realize like London's going to do this in his time, mm-hmm. which he does anyway. That's his personality. So it worked out just fine. But it just really made me question you know, how much pressure we put on our kids and these dads that put this pressure on their kids at baseball or whatnot. So that's what the blog post was about. It, for me, it was just we rob ourselves of being present when we are obsessed with 
adding pressure you know, mm-hmm. to our kids or to the outcome and expectations that we have on them. So I just, that's kind of what inspired that. It is really interesting that you, you said it was freeing because I've been also, my children have done sports, even just soccer shots. Mm-hmm. And my son started at two and he's two. So I'm just excited that he's out there even just like staying on the soccer field instead of <laughs> running away to the playground equipment. And there are levels of, of parents there that are, you know, taking it as a break and thinking, oh goodness, <laughs> they're just getting their energy out on the soccer field. And then the parents that are like, don't use your hands, don't use your hands, kick, kick, don't use your hands. And it's hard probably for them as parents, because at times I feel the same thing, not to see your children's success or what they feel is success or lack of success or progress or lack of progress in even just things like soccer as a reflection of yourself. And it's something that it's hard to remember that like what they're doing is not a reflection of me or my parenting. And it's not even really a reflection of them as a person. It's just one little area and they'll get there in their own time. Or maybe that's not their area of strength and we go find something else. And personally, I in the family am the one that's competitive and my husband's the one that's always reminding me they're their own person. They'll do it at this time or we'll leave a social interaction and I'll feel bad because somebody else's kid potty trained first. And then I have to remember like nobody ever got rejected from college because they didn't potty train by a certain time and just let it go and be like, okay, well, this is where my child's at now and we'll get there eventually hopefully we'll continue to get to the point where it is it is freeing to not feel that pressure or that negativity after attending things that should be fun. Yeah, I mean, look, I played sports, you know, so, and I was, you know, I've really enjoyed sports. I have two older brothers, so I had no choice but to be competitive growing up. So it's not like I'm just a passive dad at all. And I still, I still put my, you know, some pressure on London to, push himself harder mm-hmm. with things. So it's not about being, you know, it's not passivity and, and just relaxing, saying they don't have to try hard. It's just knowing when the moment matters and when it doesn't matter it, and trying to learn that is like, okay, does today one soccer practice matter? You know, he's maybe a little sick. He's a little off. Let's let him, you know, just sit on the ball today, you know. But the next day he's feeling great. Maybe a little more pressure on, buddy, get up. Here's what we do. So it's just kind of, I don't know, not not thinking every moment is as, you know, monumental uh, toward the, the end for him. So And a balance of challenging and pushing and laying back and, and hands off a little bit when you need. That's hard as a parent, I think, finding that balance. How do you find that balance? It's hard. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but when we yeah. find somebody who knows, <laughs> we'll have them come tell us all. <laughs> I know. I've been thinking about that a lot just because... Well, first of all, the word balance is interesting. Mm-hmm. And if we think of it in a season being balanced, like it's, I think balance is impossible. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting you say that because I, I feel like that is, there could be three weeks of like added pressure is necessary for something. Mm-hmm. Then relax maybe for a little bit. That could be, you know, a week of there's not pressure on the food to eat this or like we've had to learn that with eating mm-hmm. um, is like, okay, let's just relax like this for the next two weeks. Let's pull back on try and introduce and try uh, stop introducing new foods. Like we've had to do that and try to figure out that balance of like push or, but the balance always changes. Yeah. 
what worked one month or one week or <laughs> won't work the next month. I mean, kids are ever changing. So your balance is always changing, right? Yeah, they, they, they have a way of um, keeping us uncomfortable. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> I am thinking back and you said that thinking about what is important and pushing them there and is this important, is it not? Things that you found important, it seems like you have then had him come to the challenge. So like in school and the speech and making sure that yes, for those things, he will do it as in time, but you also were seeking out support as early intervention as possible. Can you tell us a bit about your journey to get to early intervention? Yeah. So when we were, we had him at a a school that he loved and it was a lot easier, way closer to drive you know, for (laughs) us. And, and he loved it. So we had him there, but it, it was just, it was strongly encouraged to us that if we can get him over here, he would have been, so he's four. So this is his second full year here. So if they just basically laid out a real clear path for us saying these next couple of years are actually really critical years in development. And, um, this intervention now, you know, is probably critical for him. And so that it was, it was kind of left to us to obviously decide on our own, but it was very clear and made clear to us that like, this is a window of time that we won't get back. Once he hits five, even then he can still overcome all of this, but it does put more on him. It's harder just developmental wise. So I don't know a lot about that. My, you know, personally, I've tried to learn a little bit, but it was just, the advice that, I mean, we have had great people around. And so one of the things that helps though here is how fun everything's. So you talk about him working hard, like it's fun. And so he loves coming here. You mean he did the day, day one that he walked in here. So the way that you are able to get him to work hard through fun and is, it's pretty special because that's, it's either just a daycare for for kids, you know, glorified daycare, daycare. Mm-hmm. but the way these kids get to have so much fun and actually learn. I mean, he's, I don't think he th- knows he's working hard. At, right. You know, that's the trick. Yeah. I wish it, everything was like that. For right. Me. <laughs> when you talk about the team that was um, expressing how important early intervention is, who is on your team? Are you talking about pediatricians, developmental pediatricians, therapists? Yeah, or? we had, you know, from specialists through getting assessments done on as we've been trying to figure everything out to teachers at the other school, you know, uh, to speech therapists, to, we went, we spent a little time, like a few sessions with a family therapist, just, which was really, it was an interesting experience and it was, but it was such a good one just for the sake of even just pointing us in a few more resources to learn about him and as just as a kid, not with anything going on, just as kids in the different age groups. So we've always had just been kind of fortunate to have a lot of people around us for some, you know, we had to, I guess, like speech therapy started when he might've been a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So we've just always, because of everything, I've had to have more people around us. We didn't know what we're doing. Right. <laughs> One of the added benefits of you knowing something genetically might've been going on from such a young age is that already at six months, he was kind of cued in that there might be things going on and you were already built into the to the system to have people checking in on him and having the resources there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that was, even though that that wasn't what they said, thank God it wasn't what they said. And there, there's still no diagnosis when we could do a full genetic testing. We've, 
we've just opted not to, but you're right. We had to, uh, you know, early on we had people around. So yeah, I mean, very fortunate. A lot. I actually was talking to someone recently who their kids, uh, struggling with his speech and he's almost two. And I was asking if he's doing speech therapy or anything like that and they can't afford it and their insurance won't cover it, which is common more common at least than I realized. So we were fortunate that at six months we had to start really focusing on him versus two years old for someone else, maybe not getting that help right away. Could make it, you know, could make a big difference. And maybe not even knowing that their child needed help. Yeah. I don't know that we would have known that he needed more help. I mean, we would have been like, Hey, why isn't he saying more or, mm-hmm. or whatnot? But I don't know that either of you know his mom or myself would have known like let's step up and do you know x y and z so it sounds like so many of our families rely so heavily on resources and what resources you have and you guys were lucky to have resources nearby at an early age but can you share a little bit about how you knew who to trust and your how you built your team for london i think trust is has been easier when you have no clue so, to, I mean, just being transparent, like, the biggest thing has been all you need to trust is for his mom and I is, like, are we on the same page with what we're going to do? Like, we've had, you know, experiences with multiple speech therapists just because things change, life changes, and, and so they've, you know, but we've had somewhere, somewhere not that great of an experience, and... So we didn't know. We didn't go into it saying we don't trust you. We've just always had to kind of blindly trust, which has helped, I think, in some cases, not overthink it. It's like, let's just try it. And I think just the her and I being a team on, like, what's next for him is probably all that mattered anyway versus, like, do we trust him? Because you can always just change the course of action. Right. So I think that's how we've navigated that. Is there anything that you guys specifically do to check in with each other and to work on being a team? Because being a team and parenting in general is really difficult. Yeah. And, you know, we are, you know, we're divorced. So that adds typically a layer of complication to communication. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, though, it's, you know, because we can't be negligent on the communication side when it comes to London. So I don't, I don't know that we've, done anything different than when we were together other than let's just talk about what's what he needs and so I don't think we have any we don't have any you know sort of strategy other than being intentional with our son I think that's it's as simple as that like we're both 100% you know we don't parenting's not a 50-50 thing it's 100% both people and I think we both approach it like that but it's you know it's just communication like we we make room for, and then we leave room for the other person to, if they're struggling with, you know, the emotions of some of the things that, you know, there are a lot of emotions that can come with some of this. Mm-hmm. And so leaving room for the other person to maybe have some emotions attached to a decision, you know, more strongly than the other. So there's times where I've, I, I even with the parish school, like I didn't want to put him here. Like it was, a, it was a, such a huge pressure to put on us in our lives. And, you know, she felt very strongly about it and I'm glad she did, but I kind of 
have com- there's times I just compromise and say, you know what, if this is what you really feel strongly about, like we're a team, so let's go there. So I think it's about that balance of like if if they feel strong about it, there's times we don't have to get our way and just trust the other person. But I don't know, just being intentional together. And always putting London first. That's it. I mean, we that's never changed. Our question we just ask always is what's best for London? We've, I mean, that has been the same whether we're married or not. Like, it's the easiest, to me, that's the easiest question to ask as a parent to make any decision. It's mm-hmm. really simple. Like, parenting is hard, but it's not complicated. That's interesting. <laughs> what? It's, it's an interesting perspective yeah. on parenting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the decision making is easy. Like, what's best for him right now? Right. Right. Yeah. I like that. So you've been on this journey a little while. Is there anything, like if you could go back in time, is there anything you wish you knew closer to the beginning of your journey that you know now? I don't think it matters what you know until you get into it. And so I have never really thought about, I wish I would have known to do this then. Or I just, one, maybe it's just because I don't live that way. Like, okay, that didn't work. What what do we need to do now? Right. So I don't know that I look back and think like, I wish I would have known. Because I don't know that I would have, cared until it was relevant and yeah. necessary but i i would say i feel so uh, almost i felt ignorant before to what a lot of people go through and i think that is what i wished i would have i get emotional thinking about that but you see a kid at a restaurant and Maybe they're throwing a fit and you just think that parent has no control over their kids and that's ignorance because it could be that. Yes, maybe, maybe they're lousy at that, but there's also the chance that there's something else going on and that kid has some challenges and, and the parent has challenges with that. And so I think if anything, just being, I wish I would have been more aware sooner about what people really go through and it's not just always here's the three kids and everything's just, you know, they all become, you know, all stars at every sport. And I mean, that's it. I just, I think the ignorance that we have toward what people might be really going through is a, is a pretty terrible blinder, you know? I feel that way. I feel like looking back on myself before becoming a parent that, uh, giving more grace to parents, you know, it goes back to the cliched, a kid crying on the airplane. When you don't have a kid, it's the worst thing ever. When you have a kid, even if it's not yours, you're like, this is annoying, but man, I feel for that kid. I feel for the parents. You just give a little more empathy and a little more grace to those around you. I just think we're like, I love who London is. I love everything that comes with London. I mean, even parish school being involved, like a harder, the harder situation for us has just forced me to be more present when I, uh, we literally can't be negligent with anything with him, you know? So I, 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 I don't know. I think it's pretty special to see how these kids like teach us probably more than we teach them. Yeah, definitely. On a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The shifting of perspective when you become a parent is huge, whether your child is developing at a more typical rate or on their own, you know, rate, but uh, it shifts your perspective. I was that parent with a crying 
kid on the plane last week. <laughs> it was miserable. Yeah. I'm sure it was miserable for everybody, but I'm pretty sure it was harder on me than anyone else. And I wish I would have known that before I had kids that, yeah, that kid's crying, but that mom is probably way more miserable than I am. Yeah. Like, share, have a little grace, empathy for that. Yeah, I love that you said that. The grace for parents. Mm-hmm. I think that's, and it's grace for ourselves, you know, as parents, which is the hardest grace to extend <laughs> sometimes. And in when talking with parents as a therapist, it's becoming a parent changed my perspective because there were times when I'm like, oh, they're not working on this at home or this boundary shifted or I wish they could be more consistent in that. And as I become a parent, I'm like, oh, yeah, now I know why this isn't consistent because consistency at home sometimes is hard and they shift your balance all the time. And sometimes they're sick or sometimes your own schedule gets thrown off or changes happen. And just it's changed the way I have been as a therapist. And then also having watched all the wonderful kids here, it has changed the way I am out in the community. And just as a parent myself of trying to see things from more than one view and lens. And that, as you said, you only know one little snapshot when there's so much more that's going on behind the scenes that you never really see. There's something that you made me think of when you're talking about that, which was I, at some point, like we stop, at least me, I've stopped Googling. I've stopped, you know, like I've stopped trying to find everyone else's answer for my son. Mm -hmm. And instead I've just tried to be curious, like watching what he's doing, how he's responding to it and then trying to adjust. And, and then if, if it's unconventional, but it works for him, like let's roll with it. I didn't read it on Google or some dad blog or whatever, but like I'm going to go for it with him because it works. And so I think that is, you know, between always looking at developmental charts and always Googling someone else's answer for your kid, like those things are just, they don't help at all. They, not me at least. And so I've just, I don't know what you said, but it sparked that idea of like, I just stopped looking for all the answers to some degree and just look right to my son and figure out what's the answer, you know, that he's showing me. When you know him best. Yeah, well, trying. <laughs> <laughs> well, he knows himself best. Yeah. You know him second best. <laughs> <laughs> well, his mom might know him better. So she's still better than, at this than me. But <laughs> That spoke directly to me as well, because just earlier in the week, I'm Googling how to get your kid to go to bed without crying. <laughs> and if, if you find that, to, yeah, yeah, stop <laughs> and be like, okay, well, you know, let's actually see what works for her instead of what, you know, this expert says, because every sleep expert might say something a little different and then you have a perspective from over here. So it is bringing it back and thinking about, well, what is my child's personality and what does work best for them? Every kid's so different. I think that's something that I'm shocked with. You know, you look at, I have siblings, so I can see differences, but when you start raising your own kid and you realize how many different opinions there are out there and it's based, everyone's opinion is based on what worked for their situation. That's what's funny (laughs) about listening to it so you're going to find some commonality but you're not going to find like a concrete you know theory always so yeah it's just crazy how different everyone is I liked when you talked about like stop googling and things like that I think about when my son was an infant he was very colicky and very um, fussy and he didn't sleep Um, but then when he would sleep in those moments instead of sleeping I was googling how to get my kid to sleep longer 
And it and too much information is bad. I felt so overwhelmed. I didn't even know where to start. And I'm wasting valuable time for rest Googling this yeah. this like unanswered question. When we were told that he might have MPS and we went so from that moment on until he turned one, um, yeah, until he so that six month period, I lived on Google. And I mean I would we went to Mayo when we found out it wasn't MPS. The next thing I'm doing is I'm looking at every symptom and everything and trying to figure out. I'm Googling and then like trying to figure out and diagnose on my own. And I mean, I've, I wasn't focusing on work. I was literally going to work and I would sit down and start to try to figure something out. I'd get a call from Mayo after another test. Hey, you know, that came back normal. And I'd Google again. It was just a vicious cycle. And when we got the call... It was the week of his one-year-old birthday, and Mayo Clinic called and said, hey, all the tests now have come back, and we, you know, we don't have any answers. It doesn't show anything. Um, something's definitely going on, but we don't know. It was like the most depressing phone call because you want an answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, At that moment, I mean, I, that's when I kind of stopped Googling everything. I was like, all right, they, if they don't have an answer, like Google doesn't have an answer. Um, so yeah, I, I said, stop Googling only because I know how detrimental that was to me. And it always is. I mean, I look at stuff for parenting and I read a lot, but it's like, it's a starting point now. It's not an answer ever. It's just a starting point for me to apply and adjust, you know? And that's what we really hope that this podcast can be for people, a place where they can go to get information that they relate to and a starting point, but then to also get it through their own lens of what works for their client or their child or their family. Yeah. And a resource for information, but also community building. Sometimes it's just nice to hear that someone can relate to what you're going through. And I think Google is one way to kind of understand that there are parents out there who know what you're going through, but also doing that in real life, like finding resources and people in real life who can relate to you and understand what you're going through. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we thank you for sharing your story so that other people can relate to it as well. Yeah, I was glad to. Thanks for having me. So at the end of every podcast, we ask each guest a question. If they have one piece of advice, you've already shared many, but just one that you want to make sure that you get across and it can be about parenting or life in general, what would you like to give to our guests? Well, I think it, for me, the, the thing that I'm probably thinking a lot on right now so the most fresh thing for me probably would be that it's less about who my kid becomes and it's more important on who I become. And so that for me has helped me think about my health, you know, the decisions I'm making. Um, cause what I show him is how he's defining me and he's going to define how he lives often through a, com- a combination of things, me just being one of them. So I think the pressure of who's my son becoming is shifting that to who am I becoming. I think the other will fall in line. That's kind of where my head's at right now. I like that. I like that a lot. And it shifts it from something that you can't control into something that you actually can have power over. We can't change or force our children to become something. Nor should we. No. But we can work on ourselves to build a really great positive role model. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to the Unbabbled podcast. For more information on today's episode, including links to resources mentioned, please see our episode description. For more information on the Parish School, visit parishschool.org. If you're not already, don't forget to subscribe to the Unbabbled podcast on your app of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, be sure to leave a rating and review. A special thank you to Stig Daniels, Amy Tanner, and Amanda Arnold for all their hard work behind the scenes. Thanks again for listening.